Good morning. Please turn in your Bibles to, we're going to continue our study in the book of 2 Corinthians. So turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And as we have been studying the book of Corinthians, um, the previous chapter, so chapters 8 and 9, both talk about the principles of giving. And so we're going to continue on that same theme about giving and the principles behind it. It all started with a need. The Jerusalem church had a great need for financial support. The Jewish believers in the city were very poor, and they lacked some of the basic necessities of life. And the reason for their poverty was due to the persecution, and and there was a famine in the land as well. Jews were being converted to Judaism because, and as they trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ and they were getting saved left and right, they were being ostracized and persecuted from their families. They lost jobs. They couldn't get a job. Um, They lost a place to live. All because they renounced their ties with Judaism and followed the Lord. And Paul recognized this great need that this Jerusalem church had this Jewish church had, and he had a great desire that the churches in the area, the churches outside of Jerusalem, would come and help support financially this church. At the end of 1 Corinthians, at the end of 1 Corinthians, we learn that Paul had told the believers at Corinth that there would be a collection of gifts in order to support the struggling church. He instructed that the Corinths Corinth, uh, the Corinthians, that they should set aside something each week as he or she prospered. Last week, we see that the Corinthians responded enthusiastically. They were excited to give. They were willing to give. They had zeal. They promised to give to the church in need. The Corinthians' excitement actually created a chain reaction through the churches. As Paul told the Macedonian church about what the Corinthians were excited to do, the Macedonians were now on fire to give. And the Macedonians, they gave generously. We saw last week. They were, and they were a prime example of how to give. Even today, the Macedonians are an example to us on how we should give as Christians. They stand out because of the unusual circumstances that they gave and the, the way that they gave. The Macedonians, they gave in the midst of a great trial. They, had probably the, they were probably the prime church to give an excuse for not giving, and yet they gave in the midst of a great trial, a persecution. They gave joyfully. They gave what they were able to give, and then they gave beyond that. They gave where it hurt. They gave sacrificially. They were giving freely, willingly. They gave urgently, without delay. They desired earnestly to give this gift to Paul as soon as possible. And they gave themselves to the Lord first. Then they gave to the saints. When it came to giving, the Macedonians had it right. A few years ago, uh, Calvary as a church had a Sunday school program or Sunday school class that was studying the book of Proverbs. At one point in the class, we were divided up into groups and we would be assigned a topic. 
You have to go home and study the topic, gather together um, important verses, uh, proverbs about it, other verses outside of the book of Proverbs, and then come and report back to the class. My group was assigned the topic of giving. Before I started studying the topic, I don't think I really realized or understood the significance and importance of giving in the Christian life. And studying various passages and proverbs were very eye-opening to me. I began to recognize that giving is an essential aspect of the Christian life. I remember proverbs like, he who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord, and he will pay back what he has given. Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. Not only are we to honor the Lord with what we have, but when we get an increase, the first part of the harvest. What should I do with unexpected money when I get a new job or a raise? I learned many valuable lessons through it. And one of the, one of the lessons was, what do I spend my money on? Where does my money go? Where I spend my money is an indicator of where my heart lies. If someone were to take my bank account and look at it and analyze it, go line by line, of where, does this, where, where did you spend your money here and here and here, and add all the totals up and put them into categories, where would my heart lie? It's a good indicator of where your heart lies. Would it be on entertainments or food or shopping or travel, luxury? Or would it be to the poor, the needy, giving to the Lord. Take a look at your bank accounts, statements, and you may be surprised to see where your treasure is. Giving to the Lord is actually an act of worship. When I give to the Lord or to his people, I'm showing my love for the Lord. If we fully grasp the significance of giving, I believe our giving would be, look a whole lot different. If I approach giving as a chore, I'm missing, out, I'm missing out on what the Bible teaches about giving. If I hold on to my money, I'm missing out on blessings. The Corinthians didn't realize the importance of giving because they put it off. They left it on the back burner. And as ourselves, we may forget the significance of giving. If we realized how important it was to give, we would drastically approach the way we give. In this passage, I want to look at two different, two major um, categories, two major areas. The first one is principles of giving. I want to look at six principles of giving and six motivations for giving. And I don't intend this message to be a guilt trip. My goal is to get us excited about giving. I want to be excited like the Macedonians were to give, where they were pleading with Paul to take the money that they had Giving is a privilege and a joy. And as we look at reasons why Christians should give, my hope is that we would all be joyful givers and realize the rich blessings that come alongside with giving. And that fruit may abound to your account. So let's look at our passage in 2 Corinthians 9. We'll start in, chapter, uh, starting in verse 1. It says, Now concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous, for me to write to you, for I know your willingness, about which I boast to you, boast of you to the Macedonians, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. 
Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that as I said, you may be ready. Lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you, may, which you have previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as grudging obligation. The first principle that I want to look at today, principle of giving, is that we give willingly. Giving willingly, not reluctantly. Giving should be done willingly by the giver. It means that you aren't forced to give, but you want to do it because you want to. It's out of your own heart. For Paul, it was unnecessary for him to tell him again about the suffering church, to tell him about the needs that this poor church had. The Corinthians already knew of the need. They were the first ones to volunteer, and they were the ones to get everyone else excited about it. And their willingness was contagious. But what happened to the Corinthians? They had a willingness to give. They, they had a strong desire to give. But giving is not just about good intentions. Paul now turns back to the Corinthians and says, complete this grace. I want you to complete this grace in you as well. Paul advises them to not only be doing what you began to do and desire to do a year ago, but now that you also must complete the doing of it. There must be a completion. Paul is simply asking them to complete what they had started. The Macedonians in 2 Corinthians 2, they had, uh, they, had an, they, had an, um, they had a willing heart. It says, For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, beyond their ability, they were freely willing. Freely willing. So when we give... We want to be like the Macedonians, giving freely and giving willingly. Secondly, second principle of giving found in this passage, giving should be done faithfully. Giving requires faithfulness. The Corinthians had lost sight of the mission. They forgot their promise to the church. In fact, a whole entire year had passed by and the Corinthians had not fulfilled their promise. What happens? They were unfaithful in their giving and they didn't follow through. There must be a completion of the project that had been started. I want to pause and think for today what the application is for us. When we give to the Lord, are we faithful? Maybe the Lord has burdened you with a brother or sister that's in need. And you thought about it and you were first excited to give to this brother or sister, but then a week goes by and you, re you remember that you wanted to give and then you forget again, and you let push it off to another day, and it then turns out to be a month, and then a year. You had a desire to fulfill a need because the Lord laid this burden on your heart, but then you continue to put it off. I'd ask you to consider to complete it. Be faithful in what you had desired to do and to follow through with your generosity. And not to do it because I'm telling you to do it or saying it, but out of the willingness of your heart. Paul had told the Corinthians a year ago, on the first day of the week, let each of you lay aside something, storing up as he may prosper. Giving 
should be done on a regular, consistent basis. They were to set aside funds on a weekly basis as they stored up, as the Lord prospered them. Do we give faithfully on a regular basis? Giving should be done faithfully. And then in verses uh, 3 through 5, Paul continues to urge them to complete what they had begun to do. They had been distracted from completing this gift, and they stopped. Why did they stop? Some say that it could have been the false teachers who had criticized Paul and and had been um, deteriorating his character, and so they stopped giving to to Paul because of that. Or it could have been a change of heart or a different attitude and a reluctancy to give. But whatever the reason was, Paul was saying, look, it's going to be shameful that I come to you and I've been boasting about you throughout all the churches and you haven't, been, you haven't given anything yet. You had promised to give and you have encouraged all these other churches to give and you've got nothing to show. Imagine what it would be if, if a Macedonian came with me and saw, like, what, would the, what would the look on the Macedonian's face be if he saw that you hadn't given anything to this cause? So he urges them, and he sends Titus and two other brothers to collect the gift. Thirdly, giving should be done generously. Done generously and not grudgingly. It says in verse 5 that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. Giving should be done out of generosity. Paul isn't trying to pressure them into giving. He is looking that they be faithful and complete what they had promised and started a year ago. Even though they had promised this, his ultimate goal is that they give with the right attitude. The phrase grudging obligation could be, is also translated in your Bibles as covetousness. Covetousness stops us from giving. We are covetous when we, when we are consumed with a desire to hold on to our possessions or to acquire possessions and we hold on to them at the expense of others. The right attitude is to be generous, to generously give, not reluctantly or grudgingly. And in verse 6, Paul illustrates this idea with a farming analogy. Verse 6 says this, But I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. This is a very basic farming principle. Any good farmer would know this, that when it's time to go out into the fields and plant your crops, I must scatter my seed generously if I'm expected to have a good harvest. If I just scatter a small amount, well, what am I going to expect during harvest time? I asked my son this question, and he he said, you know, I said, how many plants would I get if I just did a few? He's like, well, maybe three. And I said, what if I just threw tons of seed everywhere? What would I get? Probably like thousands. <laughs> Even a little kid, five-year-old, knows the principle. It's a very simple principle. The size of my harvest is proportionate to the amount of seeds that I scatter. If I took some seeds, if I'm tight-fisted with my seeds, and I don't, and I just hold on to them, I don't let, you know, maybe let a few come out there and here and there, 
what am I going to expect from the harvest? If I go around and, you know, well, here, I'm going to put one here, one over here. I can't expect a very big harvest. But if I, if I, if I, um, one, of the, one of the hardest actions that people do that is, is, is this clenching of the fist and it's to let go, to do this little action. I talked to uh, Michael about this. He said it was a thing called contraction where your hand's stuck in this position. And that's kind of the idea that our hand is just stuck in this position. We can't let go of the seeds. But if I'm generous, I'm going to expect a big harvest. What type of sower are you? Are you a sparing sower? Or are you a generous sower? <clears throat> Sometimes it seems like it's the hardest action to do. We like the end result of a big, bountiful harvest, but we don't want to give up the seed that we have. It would be like our farmer thinking off he's better at hoarding all the seeds so that at the end of the sowing time, he'll have a huge, huge amount of seeds in his barns afterwards. He'll definitely have more at the, after the end of it, but when it comes to harvest time, he's going to have very little to show. Consider the word sparingly. If a man came to me and pu pulled up a gun and threatened my life with, his, with a gun, I might say, spare my life. And what I'm saying is, don't take my life from me. I want to keep it. When we are a sparing sower, we, want to, we are wanting to hold back. We want to keep it. How did God give? How is God a, a giver? Is he a sparing sower or a generous sower? The Bible tells us this in Romans 8, 32. He says, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, God did not hold back his son from us. He gave us his son, and he gave up, who gave up his life. God held nothing back from us. He didn't hold anything clenched with his fist. His hand was freely opened. God held nothing back, and that's why it continues to say in the, the same verse, it says, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? God not only gave us his son, but he also freely gives us all things. He continues to give to us, even though he's, he's given one of the greatest gifts. Praise God that he is a generous sower. In uh, 2 Corinthians 8, it says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor that you through his poverty might become rich. In light of what God has done, what kind of sower ought we to be? The fourth principle of giving, let each one of us, it's found in the verse, verse seven, so that each one of us give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. The next principle is that each one of us are called to give. All of us are called to give. There's no exclusions from this list. It's a privilege to give, and we're all included in this. In 1 Corinthians, when he told the Corinthians about giving, 
He said, on the first day of the week, let each one of you give. Lay something aside. Giving includes all of us. We're all included in that. Maybe you're thinking, well, you know, if I don't give, I just won't get riches in heaven. And, you know, I don't need to give. I just, I already got my ticket to heaven, so that's good enough for me. Well, did you know that the Bible actually commands us to give? Jesus said this in Matthew 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where, moth and, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Our passage clearly tells us that it is for all, each one of us, and no one is excluded from giving. Number five, we are to give and purpose it in our hearts. We are to purpose it in our hearts and do it not grudgingly or of necessity. Our giving should be thought out and it is up to you, it is up to what you want to give and what you want to give from your heart. Giving is voluntarily, is voluntary and every believer should give willingly, they should give from the heart, they should give generously and as you purpose in your heart. Well, how much do I give? What's the right amount? What's the required amount? Do I give 10% of my income? Do I give a tithe? Well, I'll tell you this, it's up to you completely. It's completely up to you. Did you know that? There's no fixed amount. The idea of 10%, a tithe, comes from the Old Testament. And a tithe was a requirement of the law. That they, the, the, um, the Israelites were to give to the Levites as an inheritance, as their inheritance. But even that wasn't all that the law required. There was more than that. So they were to give a 10% tithe to the Levites. There was a tithe to support the crops, or a, a tithe of your crops and livestock. And then there was another tithe that you were to give to the poor every three years. And so if you were to add it all up, it actually ends up to being 23.3% of your income each year. In the New Testament, there is no command um, to give a tithe or a certain percentage. The principle of giving to the Lord is actually found in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. The principle is to give freely, willingly, and from the heart. There is no set amount. If you don't believe me, in Exodus 25, one through four, the Lord said to the children of Israel this, he said, or the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel that they may bring me an offering from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. And this is the offering which you shall take from, their, from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen, and goat's hair. It is from everyone who is willing and who has the right heart. And then later on in Exodus, it says this, Exodus 35, 21 says, then everyone, who, who's, then everyone came whose heart was stirred and everyone whose spirit was willing, and they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of meeting, for all of its service, and for the holy garments. And so you see, even in the Old Testament, you have the Lord wanting people to give to him, not because it's required, but because they want to willingly, from their heart, give to him. God does not need our money. 
what he does want is our heart. To give from our heart, not because we have to, but because we want to. That's why Paul says it shouldn't be a grudging, grudgingly or of necessity. We shouldn't give because someone is pressuring us or because someone is compelling us or demanding us or guilt-tripping us. We should give because we want to out of our own free will. The reason is, is because God loves a cheerful giver. And that's the final principle of this passage. God loves a cheerful giver. Have you ever ever had anyone share something with you because they were forced to? Maybe as a kid, your brother was forced to share the candy with you or his ice cream. He did end up sharing, but he gave it to you because his mom told him to. He wasn't very happy about it either. Or maybe you get gifts on your birthday, but you know it was painful for them because they, they felt they had to give you a gift card with money in it or they were obligated to give to you something. You get the gift and you receive, you receive the gift, but you know that the giver gave it because he had to or didn't want to. And you wish you almost didn't get anything. If we give to God this way, imagine how he feels about it. God desires and loves that we give to him cheerfully, that we give to him with the right attitude, and when we do that, we are blessed. It should be a delight to us. And the word cheerful is where we get the word hilarious from, that we should be giving to the Lord hilariously, that we should, we should love to give to him cheerfully. These are the six principles of giving found in our passage. It doesn't cover everything. Giving is a big topic. And it, and it requires require multiple weeks on this. But when we give, each one of us should give willingly. We should give faithfully, not delaying. We should give generously, not grudgingly. Sowing generously, purposeful from your heart, not under compulsion, but cheerfully. <clears throat> Why is giving so difficult? The Corinthians had a difficult time giving. They had started out to give to this church and they had a desire, but it slowly faded away. What causes Christians today to struggle with giving money? The world tells you that, that to be successful, that to prosper, you have to hold on to your money, that you have to keep it. <clears throat> the Word of God tells us that when we, that when we give, we will prosper. The world teaches us through media and advertisement that if we hoard our money, if we invest it, if we stockpile it, save it, use it on our own selves, that's, that's the way to prosper in this life. In God's economy, everything is turned upside down and inside out. God's economy, economics are so much better than the world's. The return on giving is better than anything or any earthly investment. It's more sure investing in God's causes than in the stock market or your retirement or any other type of giving investments in this world. When we give to the Lord, we are guaranteed a return. Giving to the Lord, we are guaranteed a return. And so I want to look at six things to motivate us to give. Think six things to motivate us to give. The first one, the first thing that should motivate us to give is found in verse six. We've covered it already. But he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. This is a promise from the Lord that we will receive a harvest for giving generously. 
and freely to him. It's not only promised here, but it's also promised in other parts of scripture. Luke 6.38 says, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. The reward for giving will be abundant and overflowing. You might ask, well, what is this harvest? What do I get in return for giving? What is this bountiful harvest going to look like? Some of you might say, well, I know what it is. I, it's going to be it's going to be spiritual blessing. But I can't eat that. I can't wear it. I can't drive it and sleep in it. But if you think that all you're getting in return is spiritual blessing, you're missing the, you're missing the point. First, spiritual blessings are far greater than any treasure in this world. And we should be desiring treasures in heaven rather than these temporary fading treasures of this world. But second, the harvest is twofold. We will reap, we will reap spiritual blessings and we reap material blessings in this life. When we give to the Lord financially, the Lord will reward us both ways. I do want to be careful and stress that I'm not talking about a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. There are false teachers today who exploit churches and tell them and promise them that if they give to the Lord, they'll get any desire that they claim and name um, with faith. That's not what the Lord promises in his word. God isn't interested in giving money to you so that you may spend it on your own pleasures and your own self. But God does promise to us a bountiful harvest to generous givers. He is promising us blessing. And if we want to be blessed in this life and eternity, we should learn to sow bountifully. And God will reward you. And we'll see why he rewards financially in just a moment. The second motivation to give is found in verse 8. It says, And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you may have all, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Second motivation to give is that God is able. God is able. God is able to make all grace abound toward you. That you have all sufficiency in all things. One of the hardest things for people when it comes to giving is letting go of what you have. We see our money as a, as a fortress that keeps us safe. There's a proverb that talks about the rich man's wealth is like a high wall. It's like a fortress. And he thinks that it's impossible to scale. We believe that money will protect us when, and save us in a time of trouble. Or we think it's our umbrella to help us out in a rainy day. We believe that money is our fortress. But the Bible warns that we should not trust uncertain riches. But we should trust in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Proverbs uh, 23, 4 through 5 also says this about money. Money is uncertain. It says, do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle and that flies toward the heavens. Money is uncertain. We can't trust 
that money will be here tomorrow or the next day, but we can't trust in the living God who is able. And when it comes to giving, there are two simple principles that God is asking of us. The first one is trust and obey. Trust and obey. The world teaches that when I give my money away, I have less. Giving away what I have means that I must trust the Lord for his future provisions. And the Lord wants us to depend on him for our needs. That is what the Lord promises in this verse. For those who might be thinking it's foolish to, get to, foolish to give away lavish gifts, it is a measure of faith that the Lord is asking us. He's asking us to trust him. And he's not asking for blind faith either. God is promising that he will take care of our needs. And he wants us to trust him for the future. Then he asks us to obey him and give. Why? Because our God is able to provide. Not only that, he has the power to do it. The Lord is promising this to, in this verse, he says that he is able to make all grace abound towards you. And notice all the alls in this verse and all the the extra always and all this stuff in here. It says, to make all grace abound towards you, always having all sufficiency in all things, that you may have abundance for every good work. Another promise, um, if, if we trust that the Lord is, if we trust the Lord and obey him at his word, he is able to provide for, uh, with, our, with resources. And he is he's able, he's promising in here, um, and uh, he says that to make all grace abound toward you. Another word for that grace is resources or money. So if we trust him at his word and we give, he will, not, he will provide us with resources so that we will not only have enough for our own needs, but additionally for every good work. So he will give us the ability to continue to give with a generous heart. So as we give... He promises in abundance. He promises that, that when we give to the Lord, he will re- replenish us so that we have, more for our, we have enough for our needs so that we can also give more back to him and continue to give. It's a, it's a cycle that keeps, keeps on going. And so it is clear that the reward for giving is not only spiritual, but it is material. But the reason is that the Lord blesses us is so that we can use it to continue to give and be generous with our money. Thirdly, another motivation to give is our giving will not be forgotten. In verse 9, it says this, As it is written, He has dispersed abroad, He has given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. At first glance, it looks like this verse is talking about the Lord and how the Lord has dispersed abroad and He has given to the poor, and his righteousness endures forever. Now, while all those three things are true of the Lord, the context of the quote is actually coming from Psalm 112, verse 9, and it is talking about the righteous man. It's actually the righteous man he's talking about here. And he's saying that because he has sown generously and shown kindness to the poor, there is a promise that his generosity will endure forever. This is a promise from God. Our giving lasts for eternity. Our giving lasts for eternity. Not only will we, will we be rewarded for giving, 
but our giving will be remembered throughout all of eternity. Giving has long-lasting benefits that goes beyond just this world and this life. Fourthly, another motivation to give. God will supply and multiply your gift exponentially. In verse 10 and 11, let's read those. It says this, Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruit of your righteousness. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. So we go back to the analogy of the farmer sowing the seeds. He can either sow sparingly or he can sow bountifully. But where did his initial seeds come from? Whose seeds are they? Where did he get them from? Well, they came from God. God is the one who supplied the seed. And when, uh, when Justin was two years old, um, I would feed him a snack. And a lot of times, it was uh, goldfish. And so I'd go to his plate and I'd you know, put a little goldfish on his plate and he'd have a snack to eat. And he'd keep eating. I'd put the goldfish over here. And as he was eating his goldfish, I'd ask him, hey Justin, could you share me a goldfish? This is when he was about two years old. And he would be reluctant to give back to me the goldfish. And as his supply got lower and lower, he would be even more reluctant to give. And, but what I wanted to, to see is if he would give back. I have a whole, whole supply of goldfish back here. And when he gets low, I would replenish it. But he's only thinking of this, just the, the goldfish that are right in front of him. And all he can see is this, that all he has is this in front of him. <clears throat> but he didn't know that his dad had a whole supply of goldfish for him. And the reason why that, that stuck out to me was because it reminded me of myself, that I am like that two-year-old. I can look at my pile of money and think that's all I've got. I can so easily forget that God supplied me initially with that money that I have. But um, I have to realize that it's not my money, it's his money. I find, my, I find myself reluctant to give back to God with the very money that he supplied me with initially. And I forget to, that God's pile is much bigger than mine. The Bible says that silver is mine and gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. God owns it all. God has given us resources that he entrusts us to be faithful stewards of. And oftentimes I get tunnel vision when I, when I look at the, the things that I have and we can only see what we currently have, but forget that the Lord has supplied us with what we have. He's given you that job. He's given you that raise. And we know that the Lord will provide for us. <clears throat> Look what else the Lord is going to do. So he not only provides seed for the sower, he provides you initially with, with seed. There's another promise. It says that he will supply and multiply the seed that you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality. So the Lord initially supplies us with seed, but then he replenishes that seed that we have sown. So he gives us more financially so that we can increase the fruits of our righteousness, which is the giving. <clears throat> so that we can give even more. And that as we give more, then our, the reward will also increase for us. 
It's a constant flow of money. When we sow generously, the Lord rewards us with heavenly riches. He never forgets our giving. Then he replenishes our seed on this earth so that we have more seed to sow generously. Do we see increased income or raises as opportunities to give to the Lord more? Or do we see times where the Lord has prevented us from paying for things that, that we should have paid for? Your car lasts longer than it should have. You haven't gotten sick in the last 10 years. All these things, the Lord has blessed you. Or the, how, Look and see how the Lord has uh, saved money for you. And maybe he's done that for you to sow generously. John Wesley, I gave this illustration before in the past, but it was really good. In, 19, in 1731, he began to limit his expenses so that he would have more money to give to the poor. So he records that one year his income was 30 pounds and his living expenses were 28 pounds. So he gave two away. The next year his income doubled, but he still lived on 28 and gave away 32. In the third year, his income jumped to 90 pounds. Again, he lived on 28, giving away 62. In the fourth year, again, he made more. He made 120 pounds, living again on 28 and giving 92 to the poor. John Wesley believed that with increasing income, the Christian's standard of giving should increase, not his standard of living. He began this practice at Oxford, and he continued it throughout his life. Even when his income rose into the thousands of pounds, he lived simply and quickly gave his surplus money away. One year, his income was slightly over 1,400 pounds. He gave away all but 30. He was afraid of laying up treasures on earth, so the money went out in charity as quickly as it came in. He reports that he never had as much as 100 pounds at a time. At the, highest, at the highest point in today's money, it would be equivalent to him making $160,000 a year, but living on 20000 Could we be able to live in such a way where we cut out all ex other expenses, all other excesses, so that we can give more to the Lord? Could we say that, I want to live in such a way where once our, my basic necessities are met, the rest of my money goes to the Lord? I want to bring my level of spending way down so that I can free up as much as possible for the kingdom of God. Fifth, our motivation for giving, our giving generates thanksgiving to God. In verse 12, it says, for the administration of this service, that is the giving that the Corinthians are doing, not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. And, be, and by their prayer for you, who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. <clears throat> giving, our giving... We should be motivated to give because it results in the saints' needs being met. But their giving would also result in the recipients praising and thanking and glorifying the Lord for their generosity. And so our giving generates and causes thanksgiving to God. 
And Paul points this out as a, and he says it multiple times that there's thanksgiving given to God. And they're glorifying God because of their generosity and because of God's provision for them. The Corinthians, there's another, there's another benefit too, that the Corinthians giving was also proof to the Jewish believers that a Gentile church had trusted the Lord, that they had truly believed their giving and their liberal, liberal sharing was evidence and proof that they had truly believed the gospel. And so, Giving can generate thanksgiving to God. Paul then ends with a final motivation to give. And he ends this chapter with an exclamation mark. Our final motivation is that thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. God is the greatest example of giving. His giving encompasses all the principles we have been talking about today. God did not sow sparingly but he instead sowed bountifully. He gave cheerfully. It was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross, despising the shame. He gave sacrificially. He gave himself freely, willingly. He gave up his life on his own. He laid down his life, and there was no compulsion, but he gave because he was willing. His gift is beyond description. As we just said this morning, and we talked about this, it's indescribable. It's, it's incomprehensible. It's hard to, de- to even put this into words. But this gift that he's given, what is the gift? It's Jesus Christ and his gift of salvation. He has given us a gift that can't be earned or deserved. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The gift he gave you was free of charge. And you have been given the greatest gift from the most generous giver of all time. And we should be in awe of what the Lord has done for us. The gift was free of charge. There was no price tag you had to pay. And you accepted the gift And the gift of salvation was yours by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the gift that we receive came at such a price. The gift costs the giver so much. The gift came at a tremendous cost. It cost the blood, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Meaning that he gave up his life dying on the cross, taking the punishment you deserved so that you could be saved. I just want to end with this verse in 2 Corinthians 8. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. The Lord emptied himself. The Lord gave freely. He gave everything he had. He held nothing back. He didn't, hold, he didn't sow sparingly, but he bountifully sowed. And he became, he went, to the, he went to the point where he was, gave sacrificially, where he went to poverty. And he did that for your sake and our sake. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to praise you and thank you for your indescribable, wonderful gift 
of salvation. Lord, we, we want to thank you for that you are the prime example of, of giving and how you freely gave to us so much, Lord. We don't deserve anything that you've given to us, Lord. But you gave from your heart. You gave to us willingly because you love us. Lord, we want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We pray, Lord, that we would take to heart these principles of giving and how, Lord, your generosity shown to us should, should encourage us to, to be generous to others, to be um, not tight-fisted with our money, but that we would be generous sowers. Lord, we pray that we would um, be, uh, be generous sowers in our, in our giving daily, Lord, and that we might um, uh, lay up treasures in heaven and not on this earth. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.